Today on Fantabulous, we're smearing the grease. We're spraying that can of Aquanet. Just don't have any flames. Oh, no. Hello, Carrie. Hey, Duff. How are you? I am good. Why am I good? Because I'm getting to record an episode with you. Oh, lucky you. <laughs> what are we talking about today? Today we are going to be talking about poodle skirts, greased hair, drive-in restaurants, and drive-in movies. And what do all of those things have in common? They're fabulous, maybe? Well, we'll get to that. Well, I was kind of looking for the fact that they are all 50s fads. Ah, uh, very true. Great poodle skirts. Always wanted one. I thought they were the coolest thing ever when I was a kid and would watch Happy Days, Fonzie with his little chicks in their poodle skirts. But <laughs> for anybody who isn't of my age that wouldn't know what a poodle skirt is, they were also known as a circle skirt, which is a wide swing felt skirt, usually a solid color like pink or pale blue. And they'd have an applique design, typically. Well, who'd have thunk it? A poodle. So, uh, question. Are, th- are those the kind of dresses that you could pretty much fit a hula hoop on the bottom of it? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. They typically also had, like, crinolines, which is, like, that real, I don't want to say super stiff, but they were, like, a stiff mesh or tool that would kind of puff the skirt out a little bit so you would see like that fabric underneath i can't even really describe it just the, the frilly stuff just go watch grease already all right well i've seen grease and i did enjoy it i never really thought i i would look good in a poodle skirt so that's not my thing so continue tell us more <laughs> about it the skirt originated in the u.s in the 1950s uh, it was designed by julie lynn and i'll probably butcher her last name charlotte charlotte one of those i'll, I'll pick charlotte because it sounds french <laughs> Movie stars commonly wore the skirt, and it was featured in a lot of magazines and advertising, which helped make it very popular with teenage girls, because you know how teenage girls are. We want to copy everything we see the stars doing. Uh, The poodle was oftentimes replaced with flamingos, flowers, or hot rod cars. I don't know that I would have wanted a hot rod car on my skirt. Well, I wouldn't really want... I mean, I guess if I had to wear one, it would have to be a hot rod car. (laughs) Yeah, I I would think so. (laughs) Do they have this in kilt? (laughs) Maybe. Maybe you could start your own trend or fad. (laughs) Uh, Poodle skirts were synonymous with the 50s and were displayed in movies such as Pleasantville, Cry Baby, Peggy Sue Got Married, obviously Grease, and tons more. Did you know that uh, Julie Lynn Charlot was a singer and actor as well as a seamstress? I did not. I don't know the name, so I don't know that I ever heard her sing or act. No, no. Didn't know the name. Don't really even remember poodle skirts aside from what we saw on shows like Grease. Well, you wouldn't. (laughs) No. (laughs) I mean, I never saw one in the wild either unless it was some themed dance or something where it was 50s theme and somebody had one on never saw it as day-to-day wear 
So these types of skirts might have actually been used in the enchantment under the sea dance. I agree. So this was a little before my time. This was a little before your time. Definitely. It still holds nostalgic properties, though, for some. But is it fantabulous? I think so. Okay. Well, I don't make a habit of wearing dresses, as we've talked about before. I think they're nice looking. I could definitely think of some things that were a little worse. So I I will say fantabulous as well, just, just because. If for no other reason, then if you see someone wearing a poodle skirt, you know exactly the time frame that they're trying to emulate. If you're going to a Halloween party, somebody comes in wearing a poodle skirt with their hair in a ponytail, saddle shoes, whatever, you know that they're a Bobby Soxer from the 50s. There's no question. Yeah. Unlike some other clothing trends that have reared its sometimes ugly head numerous times throughout the ages. I will agree with that. I, I will say this is fantabulous, and now it's time for our next item. What could be Grease Lightning? Grease Lightning! Get some well, we were talking about Grease a little earlier, but we were implying the, well, gosh, stage play movie, less than stellar sequel. But in this next one, we're going to be talking about the product that was placed on men's hair back in those days. And we're going to be talking about greased hair. Mm, wouldn't want to run my fingers through it. No, neither would I, which is why I was never a fan of hair gel or anything else. This is a hairstyle known by many names. Names such as duck's ass, ducktail, Argentinian ducktail, or simply D.A. The style was claimed to have been invented by a Philadelphian barber by the name of Joe Sorello, who greased his customers' hairs, piled high atop their head, and then swept back the sides to form a ridge at the back that kind of looks like a duck's butt. So I guess the name is accurate. Yeah, I can see it. The style was originally popular with the L.A. Latino crowd, but later stolen by us white honkies. <laughs> It was the visual identity of several British subcultures, such as the Teddy Boys and the Rockers. Who are the Teddy Boys? They were a, a Brit gang. Oh. The hairstyle started in America with rockers like Elvis, but almost immediately went worldwide, from Brazil to Bollywood. Mm. That's right, even the Indians got into the game. It's amazing to think. I I don't know. I just have a hard time picturing it. <laughs> well, it, picture it, because it was uh, very much fact. And speaking of fact, here's a fun one. The ducktail-inspired styles that are still popular today, like the pompadour and the quiff. I don't know what the quiff is, but... And every time I hear ducktail, I think cartoon. Well, me too, but that's because I'm a child of the 80s. Well, that wraps it up for the first half. I think it's time to go on a little break. All right. Well, we can make that happen. After the break, we'll be talking about drive-ins. Ooh. You know, shakes are half price after eight at Sonic. <laughs> Never had one. Fun fact. They are delicious. 
Hey, it's Clint Daly, host of the Daily Dose Sports Podcast. You know we release a new podcast every single Wednesday, and we bring you our own unique outlook on the world of sports. You know, we try to give you some actual insight and maybe a common sense approach to sports. Whether it's breaking news, some of the biggest games, or even some sports history, check out the Daily Dose Sports Podcast now on the Rogue Intel Podcast Network. The Daily Dose, your daily dose of sports and sarcasm. Ever since the hobbits threw the ring into that stupid volcano, I've needed a new one. I go to rogueintel.com slash Amazon and I order my new processes. Go, go. After all that hard work, I'm ready to go for a drive-in restaurant. How about you? You can get anything you want at Alice's Restaurant. I would definitely agree, but they are sort of a rarity these days. Yes, they are. And because they are such a rarity, here's a little idea of what exactly a drive-in restaurant is. You will typically drive in, you park. You roll your window down and you wait for the lovely waitress to typically come out on roller skates, take your order, bring you your food, and it would clip on a tray to the side of your car. So you could just sit there, enjoy your meal, listen to your radio. You know, they'd come back, you'd pay. You never once had to get up and go inside that restaurant. And typically they were not made to where you could even go in. It was just all cooking area. Wow. Uh, The first drive-in restaurant was Kirby's Pig Stand, which opened in Dallas in 1921. I remember them. (laughs) (laughs) No, not really. I didn't even think a car... When were cars... 1911, I think. Okay. I mean, they were around in the late uh, 1800s, in the 19th century. But I think the 19 aughts were when Henry Ford turned it into a fashionable business Uh, okay makes sense because i was like wait a minute (laughs) that would have been a buggy in not a drive-in oh model t model a yeah yeah you're right uh their heyday in the 50s and 60s led to drive-ins being a staple in pop culture for those years well sure look at films like american graffiti or even in happy days uh arnold's drive-in was the centerpiece of the show you know, I would have never thought that was a drive-in because every time you see it, it's inside the diner. I had to go back and look just to be sure, but uh, yeah, it was a drive-in. Uh, despite it being less popular, there are even restaurants today that have drive-in options like A&W, Big Boys, Checkers, Rallies, and Sonic. Yeah, the last of which is one of my favorite eating establishments. It is a traditional drive-in. They do have computer-assisted ordering devices, but uh, you do have people come out and give you your stuff. And uh, it's just, you know, it's a nifty bit of nostalgia that I wish I was around to actually partake in. Yeah, it would have been cool, except for when it was raining. Very true. Considering that was the big thing and there were tons of drive-ins. I don't even know how that worked. Um I'm guessing canopy. (laughs) It would have had to have been. Or you just real quick open your window, take the food and put it inside (laughs) instead of letting it hang on the side of the car. And I feel sorry for the 
Can you imagine roller skating in rain? You, no. Like hydroplane. No, I, I can't <laughs> roller skate on dry pavement. Same I, I, here. I, I would fall on my rear. Yeah, I would have I would have been fired the first five minutes I was there. <laughs> Kirby's pig stand was actually around in the form of wood fire Kirby's until two thousand seven when it went bankrupt for non payment of sales taxes. Oh that's a big no no. Yeah. You always gotta pay Uncle Sam. Say it with me, Carrie. You gotta pay your taxes. (laughs) Yes, you do. Uncle Sam always has his hand out. So what are your feelings of nostalgia and glee when it comes to drive-in restaurants? I never had the opportunity to do the whole authentic roller skating waitress sort of thing. So I really don't... I think it would be cool to do like hey, I did it, and I can say I've done it sort of thing, but I don't know that I would want that to be every time you went out to a restaurant, that's how you ate. Yeah, your car would tend to get a little messy. I mean, you look at fast food establishments and what some people's cars look like already. Exactly. Although it would cut down on people trying to drive and eat. I think that's just as dangerous as being on your cell phone because, oh, crap. I dropped a fry. Yeah, gotta go for it. <laughs> uh, and you're swerving across three lanes of traffic trying to dig out that French fry. Yeah, but then you flip your vehicle and, and then it you ends find up it. falling right on your stomach anyway. More than likely. Now, granted, you're you're suspended upside down at the point, but you can always, ah, fry, yummy. <laughs> See, it's all worth that one last fry. Well, only if they're good fries. I'm being sarcastic, people. Do not follow that (laughs) advice. It's no way to live. Is this fantabulous, though? I say yes. I say yes, too. For the time, you can't really replicate it now because, God forbid, you have a millennial, A, that actually has to work, and B, would have to roller skate (laughs) to earn their money and their tips. and It just, it will never happen again. Much like the drive-in restaurant, the drive-in movie theater attempted to bring more families together. Now, this might surprise you, but the first partial drive-in theater, the Theater de Guadalupe, was opened in New Mexico in 1915. Wow. Yeah, I had no idea. The Theater de Guadalupe had about 40 drive-up spots for vehicles, but the rest were just regular seats. And uh, it actually only stayed open for a year or two, if memory serves. Now, the first official drive-in was patented by Richard Hollingshead Jr. in 1932. He is a native of New Jersey. The theater opened in 1933 and then was sold to a union theater in 1936. But by then, the trend had caught on nationwide. There used to be a drive-in still in Maryland, even when I was a kid. Uh, It was in Carroll County. It closed probably in the early 80s. Mm. Yeah, when I used to live in Parkville, uh, which is a a town in Maryland, uh, there was a nearby theater in Middle River that uh, actually was still drive-in. There was also one in, uh, also in Maryland, in Baltimore County, 
it was where the now defunct Circuit City was built. There was Westview Drive-In. Oh, okay. I still have not gotten a chance to go to any drive-in theaters, but I sure would like to. It seems like an interesting aspect of uh, movie going. Yeah, well, it was cool when I was a kid, you know, out with my mom and dad, and we'd be down that way either getting dinner or knowing my father going and looking at the newest VCR or something that was coming out. <laughs> Gotta love Circuit City. <laughs> well, no, this is before Circuit City was there. Uh, we would drive past the drive-in, and you could see it from the road. And every time we go by, I would just, like, plaster my face to the window of the car. <laughs> and it's like, ooh, what movie is that? I want to go. And my parents were always like, no, no. And it's like, aw. <laughs> so I had I had the opportunity but never got the chance. You know, talking about Circuit City and and thinking of all of the now defunct big box stores, um, man, I miss a lot of them. But that's another show. Ooh, hint, hint. Yes, indeed. Let's talk about some fun facts you may not know about the drive-in. Did you know, Carrie, that the first movie shown at the Theater de Guadalupe was Bags of Gold, while the first at the Hollingshead Theater was Wife Beware? Never heard of either movie. Neither have I. Uh, originally, speakers were set up behind the screen, which didn't bode too well for people who didn't get to the drive-in early. In 1935, the Pico Theater in Los Angeles decided to put rows of speakers in front of the cars. In 1941, RCA developed the in-car speakers we all remember. Yep, still thinking it's a really cool thing I want to try. Well, you know, if the one in Middle River is still up and running which i don't know that they do it year round we might have to do a show field trip and check it out well heck we might just have to do a field trip in general it's uh doesn't have to be for the show that seems like a good old time yeah we'll have to check it out in the 1950s there were over four thousand theaters across the nation wow yeah and that's not just small change right there some of the drive-ins however did gain a reputation for being immoral in the late 50s and were often called passion pits by the media well that's because there was more necking than movie watching i'm sure yeah i'm sure that was well granted <laughs> in the 1970s theaters began showing exploitation films like night of the living dead and some even began showing pornographic titles oh that is just wrong on so many levels that's big bosoms. <laughs> My thing is, when compared to a movie theater showing pornographic material, think back to Pee Wee Herman, uh, and then you look at cars, at least you're not having to give substantial raises to the theater staff. That's just wrong. Mm. But on the other hand, <clears throat> uh. isn't that also indecent exposure if it's in your car? Yeah. No, don't don't show pornographic titles at, at an at an outdoor theater. Don't show it in any theater. That's that's stuff that's for the internet only. You've got a there was no internet in the seventies, <laughs> but you've also got to think with it being the seventies, you were seeing a market that was dying. People weren't going to the drive-ins because you had these big gas guzzling cars and you had the fuel crunch i mean it was hard to even get a full tank of gas they were doing whatever they felt they could to get people there and if that meant showing big bosoms on a really big screen then 
you know, that's what they felt they had to do. I can agree with that. One of the largest theaters was at the Johnny Allweather in Long Island, New York. It covered 29 acres plus, could park 2,500 vehicles, and had a full-service restaurant with seating on the roof, a playground, and an air-conditioned indoor theater as well. How big of a screen are you talking if you're doing 29 acres and can park over 2,500 vehicles? I don't know. I have no idea. It would have to be like the screen from the tornado sequence in Twister, like that big. That was average-sized drive-in movie. Yeah, but after the Twister ripped it out and had it (laughs) flying up in the sky, I'm sure it looked a lot bigger. Yeah, I'm sure. (laughs) The distortion might have been a little bit much, though. (laughs) Wait a minute. Where's the block with the other piece on it? Somebody put a cow over there. It's missing a whole section, you know, and if the one in Middle River is unfortunately out of business, which I hope it's not, as of 2014, 348 are still around, so we'll just have to do a little Google foo and see where we can go. All right, Carrie, we are three for three. Can we make it four for four? I know what I'm calling this one. What do you think about it, though? I would say they're fabulous. Even if it was just a novelty, I would still say it was fabulous. I totally agree, which is why I'm calling this one fabulous as well. That makes four for four. We are on a roll. Hey, great minds think alike. Hey, it's also mail time. Mail time. Mail time. Aw. No mail time this week. Aw. Uh-huh. Well, no one emailed in, I guess, with the holiday weekend and everything, uh, and maybe the fact that uh, you guys haven't been telling your friends to listen to the show. Uh, we haven't had any new questions. Well, maybe next time. Yeah. Well, how about this? I'll I'll test your brain. <laughs> All right, here you go. You ready? I, I'm ready. So we're doing fabulous trivia. Is that so? That is so. Okay. Name the most commonly used grease for the infamous duck ass. Uh, You know, I I could joke around and say axle grease, but I'm actually going to say Vaseline. You would be incorrect, sir. On which one? (laughs) (laughs) On a lot of it, but (laughs) the answer I was looking for was brill cream. What is this brill cream you speak of? I know it only by name. Well, for the most part, same here. I... I'm not a guide. Uh, I think my grandfather used it. It is like a hair gel, and it would give it a wet look, and you could style it. And it typically didn't really dry. It didn't get that hard, brittle, flaking. Okay. It, it would stay wet. It would stay, and it would look like grease, which is why you'd always see the guys with the combs in their pocket, you know, and if their hair moved even the slightest bit, they'd whip that comb out and get that ducktail going again. Well, it's good to know, but I, I just don't know that I could put that much effort into my hair. I'm way too old for caring. <laughs> uh, I, even as a female, I don't want to have to deal with that much bother. Uh, no. All right. Well, that is today's episode. What are we talking about next week on the show? We're taking walks in other people's shoes. Ooh. Have a good one, guys. You've been listening to Fadtabulous, a proud member of the Rogue Intel podcast family. 
Head over to fadtabulous.com to subscribe and interact, and head over to rogueintel.com slash Amazon to support our network every time you shop. Fatabulous was created by Amy Domestico in cooperation with Rogue Intel. This podcast was recorded in front of a live canine audience. 